Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. If you haven't listened to last week's interview with Amina Solomon, Player Personnel Coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, I suggest you do that right after you listen to this episode. Of course, I don't want you to stop right now. I want you to go back and listen to that one afterwards. As a longtime fan of the show and Florida State football recruiting assistant Jay Kernan remarked to me in our private Facebook group, the interview with Amina Solomon is one of some of your best work yet. Now, I'd like to take all the credit because I'm only humble from time to time, but in all honesty, Amina is the one that made it great because of her answers and approach to the conversation. So please uh, give it a listen. I think you will be really impressed by what she had to share. Coming up later this week is my interview with Nita Shrikanth. COO of Influencer. So Influencer is a sports tech company building the brand and monetizing the impact of athletes. So they're working directly a lot, especially with with student athletes, but also professional athletes. Um, This is important because with the NCAA approving names, images, and likeness rules, which is going into effect in 2021, student athletes will be able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. That's really what it is on a very simple, you know, way of describing it. The, for the longest time, students, student athletes were not able to monetize their own brand and likeness, and now they're going to be able to. And Nita and her team at Influencer are leading the way in the marketing, the branding, the monetizing of this potential. And it's really cool. What I really like about it, too, is that they're also working collectively with the schools. So this isn't like a divide and conquer, like let's put the athletes over here and the schools over there and we'll work directly with the athletes and butt out the schools. I don't think that sets everybody up for success. So I like the fact that Influencer is making it a win-win. They're working with the athletes to follow best practices and to provide content for them and then also to work with the schools to help them understand how to make this all work so everybody wins. I love their perspective a lot. I respect it. Um, and I think that's a really cool interview. Nita started out, they're like literally as we start the conversation before, you know, I hit record, but I said, you know, are you ready? You feeling good? You ready to go? And she said, you know, I got to tell you, I like to spit fire on podcasts. And I just love that. She started out by letting me know, like, I'm on this and I'm going to come hot. So I loved it. It was great. And she sure did. So tune in for that interview on Wednesday. In the coming weeks, I have Kevin Brown, who's the director of community relations for the Detroit Red Wings and the director of the Detroit Red Wings Foundation. Busy guy. Another great conversation. And then also Shabazz Khan, who's the director of digital content for the Timberwolves and Lynx, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx. So another great conversation, uh, really insightful stuff. So those will be coming in the next couple weeks. We keep crushing these interviews. Uh, and if you listeners have specific types of guests you want me to have on or recommend a specific person, hit me up. I'm listening all the time. You know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know who you'd like me to add to the show. I mean, we've almost, we're almost on episode 300 now, which is so crazy. We've had a lot of different types of guests, but I always want your feedback. The cool thing is too, for anybody that's new to the show is that every interview that I do, 
is evergreen, meaning it lasts forever. There's nothing in there that is dated. It's like we, we're not talking about extreme specifics that happened, you know, last night or last year. We're, we're doing more global conversations on business and their journey and how they got started and what they look for when hiring. So any of these interviews, whether it's Lee Steinberg or Dan Duquette or Brian Killingsworth from the Vegas Golden Knights or anybody that we've, Carol Walker from the Boston Celtics, I could go on and on and on and on about all these great interviews we've had. Any of those interviews you see in our archives are all just as valuable today as they were the day that I published them. So let's get into today's question. Today's question comes from Hannah in Nevada. You thought I was going to say Hannah in Montana, but I didn't. It's Hannah in Nevada. Hi, Brian. I'm looking to land my first real grown-up job out of college. I know now is not the greatest time, and I am struggling some with my resume. I have some experience, I have some good grades, I have some clubs and stuff, but I'm having trouble making it show the best version of me every time I look at it and think it doesn't encapsulate who I am. Can you help? Anna, I will gladly do so. Oh my gosh, that was so pathetic. I just channeled the giant crab Tamatoa from the movie Moana because my kids love that movie and we're on quarantine, so we've seen it many, many times. And if you haven't seen it, the always funny Jermaine Clement plays the giant crab. And wait, why am I explaining this to all of you? Like, really? I'm on that far of a tangent already? Okay, back on track. I will gladly do so. First things first, some overarching concepts that will, well, first things first, let's, let's do with some overarching concepts and then we'll dig in a little deeper. Okay. So entry level. All right. First things first, you got to figure out your fit, where you want to be, where your skills line up. What I suggest to people all the time, and I've made this very clear on this podcast before, is that when you look at our job board, and right now we have a little over 16,000 jobs. Now, in a normal sports market, we're closer to 25. Uh, things have come down, and then they've started to come back up. So they went down as low as 8,000, 6,000, somewhere in there, in like April late April, um, but they're starting to come back up, which is a good sign for everybody, right? Good stuff. Okay. But when you look at that and you see 16,000 jobs, you're like, oh my gosh, this, there's too many. There's too many things in here. Well, you have to start to figure out what applies to you and what doesn't. You have to stop looking at it like you're boiling the ocean and think of it like, all right, let's find my niche within this 16,000 jobs. Every opportunity is here. I know I can find it. Now, how do I do it? My first suggestion for people is if they're not too sure exactly what they want to do is that you start out by searching using keywords that are generic. And what I mean by that is they're generic, but they're attached to entry level positions. So use word like coordinator, use word like use words like keyword searches like coordinator. If you just search for the term coordinator, you'll find social media coordinator, operations coordinator, marketing coordinator, sales coordinator. You'll find all these different types, scouting coordinator. You'll find all these different types of jobs that are all entry level. And you can read through some of those and figure out what really resonates with you. If that term doesn't do it for you, try assistant, try associate. You know, searches like that will help you see what entry level jobs are out there. Okay. Now, when you look through a lot of these, They'll say things like three to five years experience. They don't really mean it. They really mean zero to three. But for some reason, employers always say their dreams rather than their expectations. So don't let that discourage you. If you see three to five years experience, look through the rest of the skills and requirements they have for the job. If you have 
you know, more than 70% or more of what they're looking for, even 60% or more of what they're looking for. Like they list 10 skills that they'd like to have and you have six of them. That's good enough, right? That's good enough for you to throw out, you to throw your resume out there and you'll be a relevant considered person. Uh, if you don't have any of the skills, don't bother. We'll get into that in a second. Okay. But don't get too hung up on the amount of experience they're looking for. Most people, you know, they say things like that because their hope is they get somebody with three years experience, but they understand they might be getting somebody that has one or zero or whatever. So don't get too intimidated by those ranges. Another, another overarching point before we get into the details, the expectation is that the entry-level candidates won't have a ton of experience. We all kind of get that, right? We, we know that when we're hiring that somebody that is coming out of college may not have a ton of experience. But we do want to see some relevant experience. We want to see some experience. We want to see it be relevant to the job that we are apply, that you are applying for. We're also looking for things like cultural fit and personality. And we want to see that you have developed some real skills that line up and make sense for the role that you're applying for and some leadership position. So let's dig into those concepts a little bit more. Relevant experience, what does that mean? Okay, so if you have a bunch of experience on your resume or even a little bit of experience on their resume, but none of it really lines up with the job that you are applying for, that's not a love connection. <laughs> that is not a match, right? Like if, you're, if you've done scouting internships, right? Every bit of your uh, experience has been in scouting and then you apply for a sales job. Like, yeah, you have experience, but it's not relevant. It's not connected. You know, if you worked at your dad's law firm for a bunch of times and then you're applying for a job as, you know, a marketing coordinator, I, I don't know that that's relevant experience. Okay. So try to make sure you're lining up your experiences with where you want to be in the jobs you're applying for. That is some of the expectation. If your resume doesn't match on any level, you're not going to get through that first wave. Okay. Some cultural fit and personality. Okay. Um, you want to see some personality come through because as I've explained before, when you go applying, when, when I'm looking to hire somebody and you go through 50, 60, 100 resumes, they all start to look the same after a while. So a little bit of personality, a little bit of a piece of you in the story, and I mean that for your cover letter as well as your resume, um, I think goes a long way. I'll give a quick example. I was part of a session part of a seminar session, Se session, I guess. Yeah. A uh, two hour session on this past Friday hosted by USC, University of Southern California, not South Carolina. Trojans, not Gamecocks. Anyway, again, the tangents, I am in a weird place today. Okay. So I'm in part of this session. There's 13 panelists. One of the panelists is a NFL agent. And uh, his name is Josh, Josh Barkett, I believe. I might have that wrong, which would suck because I'm going to ask him to be a guest on the podcast. And if he's listening right now, hey, Josh, I'm going to ask you to be a guest. Um, but I haven't done that yet. Anyway, he was telling a story about when he was trying to get his first job. I believe it was with a sports agency or it might have been with an NFL team. He had on his resume that he was an expert or a master of falconry meaning the art of working with Falcons. And um, he said that literally that made him stand out and that hit, when he was going through the interview process, they met, mentioned that to him. Like, I don't know, we, we thought that was interesting and we were getting so bored with all the other resumes that your resume stood out. And I think that's great. It's like a little something that made him stand out. And that's what I mean by cultural fit and personality. Anything you can do to let them know a little bit about something about you that makes you interesting 
in some way, that you're going to fit their culture, that you'll be a, an interesting addition to what they're trying to do. Anytime you're hiring somebody for an entry-level job, you're prospecting, you're guessing what they're going to be, you're trying to hope that they turn into something. So if there's something interesting on there that catches your eye, like falconry, um, can't hurt. It really can't. Okay, next one. Uh, some real skills. Okay, again, experience is awesome. It's important. You got to understand how the workplace actually functions, but also having some real tangible skills that line up and make sense for the role. So things like Photoshop or things like uh, Jira or CMS systems like HubSpot or Salesforce, like certain real skills and things that you've used and software and tools that you've used that will stand out on a resume and say, okay, cool. This person has familiarity with some of the tool, tools that we use. That's a really good thing. And then the final point too, I have a lot more points, but final points on the overarching concepts is some, some leadership, uh, ex, uh, like experiences in leadership. So, you know, if you've been a president of a club or even just an officer in a club, or if you led an internship group, or if you put together a committee to discuss race relations on campus or anything of those natures where it shows you in a leadership position, needs to be emphasized on your resume, needs to be highlighted in your cover letter. Because again, when you are looking to hire somebody in an entry-level role, you're banking on their potential. And if you see they have some leadership, they have some real skills that translate, they have some personality and cultural fit, and they have some relevant experience, you're in the ballpark right there. Okay? You're in the ballpark. So if you emphasize those things, you're in a good spot. Okay, now let's get into the tactics a little bit. Number one. This is your actionable stuff. Number one, I am way, way, way against and way over the idea of an objective statement or mission statement to lead off your resume. Here's why. No one knows how to do them. Not no one, but pretty much no one. Everyone that does these always focus on what they want. I want to earn a position at a leading company that will allow me to use my penchant for marketing, my zest for content. That's great. Now I know what you want. Well, what can you do for me? What can you do for my organization? I'm not hiring you and I'm not interested in hiring you to help you reach your goals. That's nice that if it happens, we will try to develop you. We want the best things to happen for you. We love our employees. But my main reason for hiring you is because I believe out of the entire group of people that are applying to this, you are the most likely person to help us reach our goals. I know that sounds harsh, but that's reality, people. Businesses aren't hiring you because they think you are nice and they want to help you out. You need to bring value to the organization. So if you are really good at writing these objective statements and you can phrase it in a way to share your benefits to their organization and tell them how you can improve their operation, I still say skip it. It's a waste of space. And so many of us are conditioned to hate these statements that we kind of blow past them. Like, I don't even read them anymore. That's just being honest. And I'll tell you what, I'm not the only one. You know, other people may tell you publicly like, oh, I think a mission statement is a great idea. And then privately, they're like, oh, my gosh, I hate those mission statements. Trust me. I know this. They tell me. I have these conversations with people. OK, so just, you know. I'm not going to give it to you with any kind of a filter on it. I'm giving you just the public persona. Don't do it. It's just, it takes up space. It's just a filler. It's nobody writes them well. It's just not good. Okay. Number two, entry level resumes are inherently choppy on the timeline. Okay. We get it. That's okay. There are large gaps in experience and internships and other things on your resume. And that makes a lot of sense. 
because you're a student, right? Don't worry about the perfect chronological order on your first entry-level resume. Top load that baby. Seriously, I think you lead off with your most impressive piece of experience. If you intern for the Indianapolis Colts this summer, uh, the summer after junior year, let's say, but during the college school year, you worked at the mall just a little part-time, get a little extra cash, make it to go work at the parties and the bars, do not lead your resume with the mall job. Lead the resume with the fact that you interned with the Indianapolis Colts. That's way more impressive. Put your most impactful experience at the top. You want to make that bold first impression. I don't care if it's out of order. I don't. I scan a resume looking for where you have gained experience. I do that first. I look, I go through where you've worked before, and I think to myself, is that impressive or is it not? If I see the first thing is like, you worked at the Christiana Mall in college, because that's where I worked. Um, but if I see that as the first thing, I'm like, uh, what next? Who's up? That means you buried your Indianapolis. If you put Indianapolis Colts first, though, I'm going to be like, all right, sweet. Let's see what they did. I'm going to dig deeper. So make that strong first impression. Put your best experience up at the top, period. I don't care about chronological order. I don't think anybody's going to ding you on that. If they do, they're ridiculous. I want to see what you know and don't bury that, okay? This will change. When you get further in your career, everything will be chronological. For your first entry-level resume, highlight yourself and then your best experience at the top. You don't want a recruiter or hiring manager to have moved on before they've really digested all of your capabilities, okay? Again, your next resume will be in order. The first entry-level one, it's okay to go a little bit out of order. Number three, okay? Tactics. We're getting into the tactics here. Experience means a lot on an entry-level resume. It does not just mean internships or part-time or full-time opportunities. You can put in your experience section things like co-ops, volunteer opportunities, part-time jobs, organizations, clubs. Your experience, the term experience, is broader for you as an entry-level employee. Again, as a prospective entry-level employee. Again, this will change as you get further on in your career. You will have it be your experience or only the jobs that you've had. But for right now, experience to you is a very broad concept. You gained experience in internships, co-ops, volunteer opportunities, part-time jobs, full-time jobs, organizations, and clubs. Put them all in the experience section. I get this a lot like, oh, I was a, a president of this club. Where should I put that on my resume? Put it somewhere they're going to see it. How about that? Put it in the experience section, because that's your experience right now. That's what your experience looks like, okay? Number four, focus on your bullet points. You have to translate what you did as part of your experience into meaningful, digestible nuggets. Use metrics where possible. Metrics are data points. Even if you have just one or two, it shows you as data-driven and adds powerful credibility to your achievements. Everybody should do this. The further you get in your career career hiccup, sorry. The further you get in the career, the more data points you should have. Okay. Now, everybody says to me, oh, I don't have data points for my career. Bull. Yes, you do. Think, be creative. Even if it's something like, uh, I was the president of the organization of undergraduate communication students. In my year as president, we had a 30% uh, increase in, uh, you know, people who attended our meetings. I don't know. Find data. I'm spitballing here. If you raised fundraising, if your fundraising efforts led to an increase in revenue, say so with measurable data. Think about the clubs you're a part of. Think about the meaningful groups you're a part of. Think about on your internship, if you had a hand in their social media accounts, did you make any kind of an increase there? 
Did you change engagement numbers? If you wrote emails for a company, did you did open rates go up? Look for data points to help tell your stories. If you're on the financial side, did you you know increase revenue, or decrease expenses, whatever? If you tutored undergrad comm students and that led to a positive increase of 10% in their GPA, these are data-driven bullet points. Strive for these. It shows proof. Proof, proof, proof. Anybody can write power verbs. Anybody can write power adjectives. Give me proof. Find ways to demonstrate through data who you are and what you've achieved. Okay, number five. We're running through this, people. Keep up with me. I know I talk fast. Deal with it. Number five. Not every resume is the same. Okay? Make sure it matches the job description. Move bullet points around. Add in new ones. Take out a part that isn't as relevant. Make it match the job you are applying for. Again, applying for jobs is not a quantity job. You are not trying to apply for 500 jobs this week. You're trying to apply for the right five. Okay? Find the right ones that you line up with and then take bullet points and move them around a little bit. If it's clear they're emphasizing in their job description exactly what they want, make sure you emphasize that in your bullet points. Don't give me your base resume that doesn't highlight how you connect to this job. Be okay with moving things around, highlighting certain parts, making sure you add in data points, especially where uh, you know there might be emphasis in a certain role. Not all jobs are created the same. Even if the titles are the same, the roles might be different. Read through the job descriptions. Study them. They are your open book test. When they tell you what they want, believe them. Okay. Now, sometimes, like I said earlier, they're going to over-exaggerate what their demands are, but it still is giving you the direction of what they want, hope, and expect. So if they're saying they want somebody with Photoshop experience, you better make sure you put that in there if you have it. Don't bury your skill sets. Okay, number six, only apply a job to fit you and your skill set. Okay, we recently were hiring for an account executive at Work in Sports. Okay, we posted it on workinsports.com. Makes a lot of sense, right? Greatest job board in the sports industry. Of course, I'm going to post it there. We had a lot of resumes come in. And I tell you, I spent a lot of time going through resumes of people that had zero applicable skills. Zero. 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 Like, they had a good resume. They had experience in sports. They had never done anything in sales before. Why are they applying for a sales job? You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time right? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't try to just throw your resume out everywhere and see if it sticks. Only apply to jobs that fit you and your skill set. It makes it a lot more worth your time if you line up with their needs. Number seven, entry-level resumes can have a skills section too. Just remember to be specific. Now, I'm going to tell you later on, you need to incorporate the skills. <clears throat> Sorry. Later on, you're going to need to incorporate the skills for the job within your bullet points of your experience. But when you're entry level, you can have a specialized section that deals with skills because you may have learned the skills outside of any of your experience category things, right? Through classes, through whatever you've done. So you can have a separate skills section. Just remember to be specific as you outline your skills. Don't say graphic design tools, say Photoshop or After Effects. Don't say product management software, say Jira or Trello. Go as far as you can with the skills, too. If you have Adobe Audition or Final Cut Pro in your skills, list any certificates you earned or any high-level techniques you're able to execute. It helps complete your story. Final thing, number eight. Stop worrying about format so much. I see so many different types of layouts, 
colors, designs. Now, if you're applying for a design type job, sure, go for it. Make it look spectacular. It's part of your portfolio. It's part of the way you show information. I get it. If you're not applying for one of those jobs, stop worrying about format so much. Here's why. Okay. 90% of the jobs you apply for run through an applicant tracking system. The first thing the applicant tracking system does is remove all of the formatting. All they do is look for the text and then they look for relevant keywords. They look for skills that line up with your, um, with the job that matches. Like you have the skill, they want the skill. Great. You're a match, right? It's all algorithmic. It's all matching technology. They get rid of the format. Now, have a format that's really pretty for when you're in face-to-face interviews with somebody. Like if you go through the application process online, don't worry about format too much, right? Don't stress out over that. Make it easily understood and legible. No columns, no like crazy rows, no weird alignments of, of sections because it gets the words all messed up when the ATS tries to process it. But if you then get an interview and you are showing up for the interview, have five copies of your really pretty, well-formatted resume. But don't make it your huge focus right now. Don't worry about that so much. Make sure the data and the information is top of the line. Everything else you can worry about later. Okay, that's eight pieces of advice plus a lot of hierarching concepts for how to master your entry-level resume. I feel like I've talked a lot. Um, So we're going to wrap this one up. And I think there's a lot of information in there that will help you. And we also had a reference to Moana, which is always cool. So thank you for listening, everybody. Make sure to tune in on Wednesday for my interview with Nita Shrikanth, who is the COO of Influencer, which is a super cool sports tech app that is helping student athletes monetize their brand, their name, their image, their likeness, which is super cool and powerful in the direction we are headed. So thank you again for listening. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Keep listening. Give me suggestions of questions you have. Give me suggestions on guests. I'm here for you, people. Connect with me on LinkedIn. We'll talk again soon. Goodbye. Wear a mask. 